Father God in heaven, we thank you, Lord. Thank you for this time of worship where we get to worship you, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And Lord, we know your presence is here. Help us to feel it, know it. God, help us just to rest in your presence, rest in your love, rest in your grace. And God, encourage us this morning, Father, from your holy word. In Jesus' name we pray, Father. Amen. Amen. You may have a seat. So, how's everybody's week been going? Good, good. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I hope you guys have been blessed by our verse-by-verse study through the book of Colossians. We started, I don't know, about two and a half months ago, going verse-by-verse through Colossians. And it's been an awesome study. And this morning, we come to our final portion of Scripture we'll finish up the book of Colossians, and then guess where we'll be next week? We'll roll right into Thessalonians. But uh, I just want to highlight, as I was looking at Colossians this week, one of the most powerful passages I saw in this passage. And it comes from Colossians chapter 1, where Paul says, talking about Jesus, He has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. So Paul in his word has given us these high and lofty and solid and biblical truths, uh, Colossians chapter 1 and Colossians chapter 2. And then in Colossians chapter 3, he gave us practical application, how to live it out. And now, this morning, we come to the benediction. We come to the closing of Colossians chapter 4. Now, many people skip these passages. Many people skip these parts of Scripture where the author goes into thanking everyone and calling everyone out by name and showing them them some love. But you know what? All Scripture, all of the Bible is profitable. Amen? That's what 2 Timothy 3.16 says. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable. So even in these passages where where Paul is closing out his books, there's a message for us. So for this Sunday, and for the first Sunday in a long time, I am preaching from the benediction, the closing. So turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4, and we are going to pick it up. Last week we stopped at verse 6, and we're going to pick it up at uh, verse 7. And the, the, the title of my message this morning is, Who Do You Surround Yourself With? We're talking about this morning, friends. Friends. The Bible has a lot to say about friends. Because we, who we pick as our friends is very important. It will determine your destiny in life and where you go, whether up or whether down. Whether you wreck your life or you live a blessed life. Let's look at a couple of them. Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen says, Just as iron sharpens iron... So one man sharpens another. You want to be sharpened. You want to, you want to become better in life. You want to serve the Lord better. Men, get around other men who are like-minded. Ladies, the same for you. You want to sharpen your walk with Christ. You want to do better in life. Then get around other godly women and be sharpened. Proverbs 18.24 says, A man of too many friends uh, comes to a ruin but there's a friend that sticks closer than her brother. You don't get many of these in life. And when you get one, 
Be thankful. Someone that comes alongside you as a friend and is there with you. We all need that. I need that. You need that. And then 1 Corinthians 15, says, Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Who you hang around, you will most likely become. They will influence you. They will affect your life. You hang around godly people, Christians that will propel you, you will most likely walk closer with Christ because they'll encourage you and they'll push you. Vice versa, if you don't hang around with Christians and people that want to tear you down and encourage you to live in sin, then the lower you'll go. That's very, very, um, those are very important principles from Scripture. So who were Paul's friends? The Apostle Paul had friends. You know that? We don't talk about them a whole lot. We just talk about Paul and Peter and James and those guys. But Paul had friends, and that's who is before us this morning. So Paul has written this beautiful letter defending the deity of Christ, describing our new life. And now, in chapter 4, verse 7, he's going to talk about the unsung heroes, his support, those who made it happen, the brothers he loved, the friends he surrounded himself with. This is who it is. So let's look at verse 7. Verse 7 of Colossians chapter 4, as we close out this this verse-by-verse study through Colossians. He says, As to all my affairs, Tychicus, our beloved brother and faithful servant and fellow bondservant in the Lord, will bring you information. For I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. So we have the very first friend of the Apostle Paul that he's given thanks to. And, uh, his name is pronounced Tychicus. And look at what he's called there. He's called a beloved brother, a faithful servant, a bond servant. Why? Why? Here's what we know about this guy. He's mentioned five times in the New Testament. We know that he joined Paul in Ephesus in Acts chapter 19 when Paul was there for three years, and he helped him greatly. He assisted Paul in delivering the financial gift um, from the Gentile church, Um, to Jerusalem in Acts chapter 20, verse 4. And now Paul is giving him the awesome responsibility and the privilege of delivering Colossians, Ephesians, and Philemon to their destinies, to the church at Colossae, to the church at Laodicea, to the church at Ephesus. What We we, we need to be thankful for this guy because at one point in history, he had these letters in his parchment, in his sack, and he was heading to Colossae, and he did what he needed to do to get him there because he was a faithful servant. What, what his character, he's proven himself. If you go look at a timeline from when he joined Paul to this time, it's nine years. Nine years he was faithful and committed. But guess what? He had a special gift. Look at verse 8. Look at the end of verse 8. It says, um, he sent them there that he may encourage your hearts. Now look, bring your attention up to the screen. Listen to what's said in Ephesians 6.22. He says, I am sending him with you for this very purpose, that, he, that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage you. Two different places in Ephesians and in Colossians here, we're specifically told that Tychicus was an encouragement to Paul. He encouraged Paul, and he also encouraged the churches that he went to. So this is principle number one that we learn that we need in a friend from Tychicus is this. A true friend will encourage you. 
He will encourage you in your walk with Christ. He will propel you forward. A true friend will not pull you away from Christ, but he'll push you towards Christ. He will challenge you. He will challenge you in your walk with Christ. And he will hold you accountable. He will hold you accountable. So the first characteristic of a true friend that I present to you this morning, based on Paul's friends here, is that a true friend will encourage you. That's what we got to be. That's, that's who we need to surround ourselves with. People that will encourage us in the hard times. People that encourage us. And vice versa, we need to be this kind of friend. You know, there's people around us that need encouragement in the Lord. That they need to be pushed forward. That they need to be propelled. We're all human beings. And we all, God has made us and designed us that we need encouragement. And that comes from other brothers and sisters in Christ. That, that verse 9, let's look at the second person, Onesimus. If you've ever studied the book of Philemon, you'll know a lot about this guy. But verse 9, he says, And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of your number, they will inform you about the whole situation here. Onesimus, man. A man with a sinful past, a man with a, a shady past, a man who didn't have it all together. At the end of verse 9, Paul says that they will inform you about the whole situation here. What is the situation he's talking about? The situation he's talking about is, is that Onesimus got saved. See, Onesimus was from Colossae. He had stolen from a gentleman named Philemon, who was a member of the church at Colossae. And Onesimus flees to Rome. Onesimus thinks he's gotten away with it. Gotten away with his crime, that is. But somehow, we don't know the details, he encounters the Apostle Paul. And Paul leads him to Christ. Now Paul is sending Onesimus back to Colossae to reconcile with Philemon. Now you need to understand, Onesimus... According to scripture, he was a man with a shady past. You could maybe even call him a thief, a thug. But look at what Paul calls him here. A faithful and beloved brother. Second century church father Ignatius tells us, the scripture doesn't tell us, but a second century church father tells us that Onesimus went on to be the pastor at Colossae at the end of the first century after, as the canon of scripture was closing. But he's a faithful and beloved brother. The book of Philemon is Paul writing. If you, the, the book of Philemon in the New Testament that we have, that letter is, is Paul writing to the man that Onesimus stole from. And listen to what Paul says to um, Philemon concerning Onesimus when he writes this letter. He says in Philemon 10, verses 10 through 12, he says, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains, Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and me. I am sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. Do you sense the love and the endearment that Paul had for Onesimus? This guy was shady. He had stolen. He'd done a lot of bad things, but he came to Christ. And Paul didn't hold that stuff over his head. Because he understood reconciliation. He understood the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the gospel of Jesus Christ is, if you come to Christ, you are forgiven. Past, present, and all sin. 
You're given this new life. And even when people come to Christ with shady past, we cannot hold their past over them. Why? Because God has forgiven them. And if God doesn't see it no more, then we shouldn't either. And Paul didn't either. Number two, the thing that we learn from Onesimus, the thing that you're looking for in your friendships, the thing that you want to exhibit and show as a friend is this. A true friend understands the importance of reconciliation and forgiveness. He understands the gospel, that we've been forgiven, and if God has forgiven Andy, then who am I not to? We've got to understand forgiveness and reconciliation. We've got to make that a part of our life, that we do everything we can to make reconciliation and to forgive each other. Romans 12, 18 says, uh, Paul says, If possible, so as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. We've got to be people of reconciliation. And that's who you want to surround yourself with, as well as you yourself also exhibiting this character trait. So that was number two. Let's look at uh, Aristarchus. Verse, look at verse 10. Verse 10. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, sends you his greetings. Now, what do we know about Aristarchus? Well, if you go to Acts chapter 19, you will discover that, that he is attacked by an angry mob because of the gospel of Jesus Christ and because of his association with Paul. They attacked him. Christianity wasn't welcomed everywhere. It took men with backbones to go in and present and declare the gospel in light of the opposition. And Aristarchus did it. Acts chapter 20 tells us that uh, Aristarchus was also with Paul on his journey to Jerusalem to deliver the financial gift. So there was a lot of, if you, if you search the scripture and you look at the friends, you'll see there's a lot of guys that traveled with Paul. And then in Acts chapter 27, we know that Aristarchus accompanied Paul on the voyage to Rome. So his character, what, what is it and what do we see in, in, in uh, Aristarchus' character? We see that he loved Paul. He had a deep love for the Apostle Paul. He cared for him. Uh, he, says, he uses this phrase in verse 10, my fellow prisoner. Many scholars believe that, uh, and, there's, and there's biblical evidence for it, that Aristarchus, he stayed with Paul throughout all his confinements. What a man. What a, a, a sympathetic heart. That's what Aristarchus was. He sacrificed his freedom to stay with Paul, to to comfort Paul, to to care for Paul. What an amazing thing. Proverbs 18.24 says, A friend sticks closer than a brother. And that's what Aristarchus was. And that's what you and I need. We need people that will come alongside us and help us, encourage us. So the next one is, a true friend will be with you in the tough times. He'll be with you in the tough times. That's what Aristarchus was to the Apostle Paul. He cared for him. He helped him carry the burdens. And we all go through difficult and trying times. And it's in that difficult time in our life where we're trying to serve the Lord, we're trying to do things for the Lord, and we're finding difficulty. It's when we need an Aristarchus in our life to come along and say, hey, man, I'll walk you through this. I will be with you. I will help carry the load. That's the kind of people we need to surround ourselves with. And that's the kind of people we need to be towards others. We need to be an Aristarchus and help people carry the load. When you see a brother struggling or you see a sister struggling, go help them. Go help them. 
be that Aristarchus and help them along the way. Let's continue in verse 10. Oh, this one's good. This is Mark. This is actually the guy that uh, wrote the Gospel of Mark. And also Barnabas' cousin, Mark, about whom you received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. Now, there's some history here. You have to go back to Acts chapter 13 to know what happened with Mark. In Acts chapter 13, Paul, Barnabas, and Mark set out on the first missionary journey. And halfway through the missionary journey, we're not, we're not told why, but Mark dips out. Mark quits on Paul and Barnabas. And the scripture tells us this greatly upset Paul. Paul didn't like it. Paul was a man focused. He had his team. And halfway through the mission trip, um, Mark leaves. Unexpectedly, it appears to be on the moment, he, he heads back to Israel, away from the mission field. Well, then if you jump forward to Acts chapter 15, Barnabas is uh, they're getting ready for the second missionary journey, and Barnabas wants to take Mark on the second missionary journey, and Paul flat out refuses. Paul doesn't budge. He says, no way. He is not going with us. He dipped out last time. He quit on us last time. He's not coming back. According to Acts 15, 39, Acts chapter 15, verse 39, it, it probably got ugly, got a little tentious between them. So what, is, what happens? This causes... Uh, Paul and Barnabas to split and go separate ways. And then Paul and Silas go one way. Barnabas and Mark go, go the other way. But we're, we're left hanging there in the book of Acts on Paul's feelings towards Mark, how he felt toward Mark. We're not given no they reconciled. It's just they went separate ways. But here we are 10, 12, 13 years later, and he says in this verse here, he says, if Mark comes to you, he says, welcome him. Now, what happened? Now Paul's welcome, welcoming him back 11 years later. He's saying, what, what, turned, what turned Mark around? We do know that Mark spent time with two people. He, he spent time with Barnabas on that next missionary journey where when, when Barnabas and Paul split, Barnabas took off and he took Mark with him. He spent time with Barnabas there. We, we're not given no details of what took place in that ministry, but also he spent time with Peter. Listen to 1 Peter 5.13. It says, She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you greetings, and so does my son Mark. So we see that Mark spent time with Peter. And where did uh, Mark get his gospel from? The, the, Mark, the, Mark wrote his gospel from the pre preaching of Peter. So I believe, I believe that it was Peter. It was the time that, that, that Peter spent with Mark that got him turned around. And this leads me to my next point of a true friend, based on, on, on what happened here with Mark. A true friend leaves the past behind and moves forward. He... A true friend learns from their mistakes, and they let it go. And that reciprocates. That reciprocates as you as a person and you as a friend. You know, you, you want to let things go, let the past be the past. I've made a lot of mistakes in life. I, I've done a lot of things that, um, that just were flat-out stupid and weren't very wise. 
I've said things I wish I wouldn't have said. I've done things I, I wish I wouldn't have done. Um, but my goal and my heart is to go and make reconciliation, to ask for forgiveness, and then at that point, I have to let it go. And I have to move forward with what the Lord is doing in my life. And we have to do that for people as well as people uh, doing that for us. Paul said in Philippians 3.13, he says, Brother, I do not regard myself as, taking, as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, I forget what lies behind, and I reach forward to what lies ahead. You know, we all have times of failure in our life. I know I have, but I'm not going to let them define me. There's times where I've done things, and man, I was hard-headed. Should have listened to my friends. Should have listened to my family, but I didn't. But I'm going to learn from them, and I'm going to move forward in life. Let's look at verse 11. Verse 11 is our, our, our next, next one of Paul's friends. And also Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are from the circumcision. And they have proved to be an encouragement to me. We know very little about justice. We know very little. But just based on verse 11, we can say this, that, that, that justice was a fellow worker. He was a fellow worker. In other words, he put his hands to the plow in what he was doing, in his ministry and serving the Lord. He says, I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to do what the Lord has called me to do. But also we can pick up in verse 11 that... Uh, that justice made a huge sacrifice. He made a huge sacrifice in following Christ. He says, uh, justice, describing the last half of verse 11, he says, who are from the circumcision, and they have proved to be an encouragement to me. We can say this for sure. Justice had broken away from Judaism. He had left behind his heritage. He left behind his way of life. He left behind everything he knew and had lived by to follow Christ. He, for, he forsook it all that he had been raised to embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ and to believe this message and to serve this Jesus and to go out and do work for him. This brings me to my next point of a true friend based on justice. A true friend is completely committed to following Jesus Christ. That's who you need to surround yourselves with. Strong believers that are completely sold out for Jesus Christ that will encourage you in your walk with the Lord. Men, that have, men and ladies that have counted the cost and said, you know what, I'm going to follow Christ. Man, when you, when you start getting with people like that, they want to they read their Bibles, they want to uh, go to prayer meetings. They want to go out and evangelize. They want to go out with us. It affects you when you meet people that are completely sold out. So we need to be sold out to Christ. But also we want friends around us that are sold out. People that let nothing stand in the way. People that say, you know what? Jesus Christ is number one in my life and I'm going to live for him. That's the picture I see in justice. He was a fellow worker for the kingdom he put his hands to the plow. And then it says, who are from the circumcision? As you know, the, the, the religion of that day that Christianity replaced, it was mega. It was huge. It was called Judaism. And the, 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 that first century went through a lot when we transferred from the Old Testament 
to the New Testament, from the temple sacrifices to the sacrifice of Christ. It took a lot to break away from the old religious system. And that's what he did. All right, let's look at the pastor of Colossae. Look at verse 12. Verse 12 says, Epaphras, who is one of your number, a bond slave of Jesus Christ, sends you his greetings, always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers, that you may stand perfect and fully assured in all the will of God. For I testify to him that he has a deep concern for you and for those who are in Laodicea and Hierapolis. What do, what do we know about this guy? We know Epaphras founded, most likely got one to Christ at Ephesus, and it was Epaphras that left um, Ephesus and went off and started the church at Colossae. And it's actually Paul writing these letters back is in response to Epaphras traveling from Colossae to where Paul is in Rome and say, hey, this is what's going on with the church. And, he's, and, and, and uh, these letters are Paul writing back. But look at verse 12. Verse 12, he says, he's always laboring earnestly for you in prayers. You know, we need friends around us that will pray for us. We need friends around us that will pray for us. And not just, oh, dear Lord, bless them. But when you're going through a difficult situation, that friend that you can call up and say, please pray for me. I'm going through a difficult time. And that person, that believer, that brother, that sister, that will storm the gates of heaven on your behalf and lift you up to the throne of grace. We need that. We need that. That's who I want people around me. I've been having back issues all week long. And and I've had a very, I've thrown some muscles, I've messed some stuff up. But the first thing I did when I got to church this morning, I found Sun June. I said, come on, Sun June. We're going back in the office and we're praying. We're praying for my back. And I, and I praise the Lord right now. My back feels great. Because Sunjun prayed for me. But we need believers around us that will pray for us. And that will lift us up to the throne of grace. And that will believe the Lord for mighty changes. And flip that over. We need to be people of prayer. That pray for our friends. Especially if you're close friends with someone. You know them. Because you walk so close together and you know each other. When they're going through a difficult situation, don't wait for them to ask. Just go, go pray for them. Intercede for them. That's what this young pastor, Epaphras, was to Paul. And, and that's my next point. is a true friend prays for you. And it also says in there that uh, in verse 13, he says, For I testify for him talking about Epaphras, that he has a deep concern for you. There's a picture there of this, of this genuine, authentic care. You genuinely care for the person. You, genuinely, you want to see the person do well. You want to encourage them. And you want them to do well in life. Us parents, we know, we're, we know what this is talking about when it comes to our kids. You know, we love our kids, we pray for our kids, and there's a genuine, heartfelt commitment in our hearts that says, man, I want my kids to succeed in life. I want them to do well. I want them to do well. And that's what he is, that's what he is saying here, that, that um, Epaphras, Paul is telling the church at Colossae that Epaphras has this for you. Shows the heart of a pastor. Shows the heart of a shepherd. That he cares for his people that he cares for his people, that he loves his people, that he wants to be there for his people. So a true friend genuinely cares 
and genuinely praise. Let's continue, verse 14, as we're coming to the close here. Luke, and it's not the one with the lightsaber. Verse 14, Luke, the beloved physician, sends you his greetings. What do we know about Luke? Well, the first thing is the verse that tells us right there. It says, tells us that he's a physician. He's a doctor. The, the scripture also tells us that this guy, Luke, right here, he wrote the gospel of Luke, and he wrote the book of Acts. My personal belief about, about Luke is that Luke was God's gift to Paul for all the beatings, all the stonings, all the imprisonments. Paul needed someone to bandage him up and to get him up. You know, there was places, I think it was Lystra or Iconium, where he was dragged out of the city and he was stoned to death. You know, those, that leaves marks. That hurts. Paul was beaten. He was imprisoned. And so what does God do for him? He sends him a doctor. Praise the Lord. He sends him a doctor, Luke, Dr. Luke, to take care of him. But what do we see in Luke? What I see in Luke is this. Luke, as a true friend of Paul, and a person that we're, we're, what we're looking for in our friend, is this. A true friend is a faithful companion. A true friend is a faithful companion. That's what Luke is. If you, one of the reasons we know uh, that Luke wrote the... Um, Acts is because of all the we passages. Throughout the latter half of the missionary trips in the book of Acts, it says, we went there, we went here. And it was Luke speaking, talking about him and Paul. But a true friend is a companion. He's a faithful companion for life. You don't come across many of these in life. Normally one, two, maybe three or four. If you're you're blessed, three or four. But it's that person, they're just with you. For the long haul. And a faithful companion will do what? Take care of you. He'll take care of you. They're there for the long haul. Come high water, low water. It doesn't matter that they're, they're with you. That's what Luke was. In addition to, I imagine, Luke uh, bandaging up the Apostle Paul. He says, yeah, it's Luke. Then he says, uh, Luke, the beloved physician, sends you his greetings. And he says, also Demas... And this is where things go a little south here. Demas doesn't do very well. Uh, here's what we know about Demas. That Demas, is, uh, he's spoken very highly of at the close of Colossians and at the close of Philemon. But something happens. Something happens. The last letter that the Apostle Paul wrote was 2 Timothy. And I want to read to you. It should be up on the screen. Uh, 2 Timothy 4.10. Uh, this is the very last letter that Paul writes. He talks about Demas. He says, For Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. When I read that, I just get sad just by reading it. You witnessed the Apostle Paul. You were there. You most likely saw miracles. You most likely saw healings. You saw the supernatural. But yet, what does it say? Up on the screen, it says, He loved this world. Not everyone who sets out to follow Christ stays the course. You know, we all have this flesh to deal with. And sometimes we win the battle, and sometimes we we lose the battle. And sometimes people get delusioned and and get deceived, and, and they fall away from the Lord. So what do we do with those people? What do we do when we see a friend fall away? You know, uh, Jesus 
had Judas. Paul had Demas. And I imagine each one of us in here, somebody comes to mind that you've known that was following the Lord, that was serving the Lord, and they fell away. You know, we, we all have, what do you do? What do you do when a friend falls away? I call it love, pray, speak. Number one, you love them. You love them. If, your friend, if a friend, a close friend falls away from the Lord, you still love them, and you make sure you, they know that you love them. Number two, you pray for them. You, you, you take it to God's throne room in prayer, and you pray for a revival, and you pray that God gets a hold uh, of their heart. And then thirdly, you speak to them. You speak to them very lovingly, very compassionately, very caringly. You speak to them in a spirit of, of humility and love and, and, and try to talk to them. Just try to get them to open up. But people, some people do fall away. The, um, the gentleman that, the, he, he, he mentored me my first two years. Um, he, he mentored me for my first two years as, as a Christian from 1992 to 1994. And he fell, off, he fell, he fell way off. He, he, he went into deep, deep darkness. Um, it was really bad. And um, I can't give you the details because if you Google his name, I don't, I don't want you to see the things. But in the year 2000, I heard he had fallen away. In the year 2000, uh, me and Irene and Emily as a one-year-old, we drove up to Virginia Beach and we went to see my friend Joseph. And I tried to talk to him. I was like, Joseph, man, you're going to wreck your life, man. You are gonna, you are gonna, the path that you're going down is a path of destruction. And all he wanted to tell me about was his mansions and his Maseratis and all this stuff he had. And I was like, Joseph, you are gonna wreck your life if you do not stop and repent and come back to the Lord. Don't you understand this stuff is gonna destroy your life? I think it was about four years later, I got a Facebook message from my other friend, Wayne. He said, man, you need to go out and look and see what happened to Joseph. My friend Joseph now is serving life without the possibility of parole in the Pennsylvania State Penitentiary. All because he was on fire, he was serving the Lord in 1992, he, he greatly mentored me, and then it was a slow fade. He fell away, and he went so far into darkness that he committed a very heinous crime, and now he will never see the light of day because of his choices. But I felt led by the Lord. Irene went with me, and Emily went with me, and we went up there, and we, we, we made sure he knew that we loved him, that we were praying for him, and we spoke the truth to him. And that's all you can do with friends. Look at verse 15. Verse 15. Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea, and also Nympha, and the church that is in her house. When this letter is read among you, have it, read, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And you, for your part, read my letter that is coming from Laodicea. Nympha, we don't know anything about. There's, there's, really, there's no information other than the church uh, met in, in her home or his home, maybe male, maybe female. Um, and then it says there, for your part, read my letter that is coming from Laodicea. I believe that was the book of Ephesians, is the Paul was Paul was given to to deliver the the book of Ephesians. It says in the opening, it says to the church of Ephesus, 
that is, that's actually blank in the original manuscripts. We believe that um, these letters, they were circular letters. They were to be circulated around those churches in that region. Verse 17, say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord, that you may fulfill it. Archippus, who is this guy? It's in Philemon, either verses 2 or 3, indicates he may have been a Roman soldier. He's called a soldier there, but uh, that's the other reference to him. But what is it that we see in Archippus? He says, take heed to the ministry for which you have received in the Lord that you may fulfill it. I think what he's saying here is understand what God has called you to do. Now go do it. (laughs) Just go do it. You know, if God has given you a ministry, if God has placed something on your heart, and God opens that door that we talked about last week, go do it. Go do it. Go serve the Lord. Let's close it here in verse 18. He says, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my imprisonment. Grace be with you. And there you have it, family. The Pauline Evangelistic Association headquarters a jail in Rome. That's, that was his people. That was who he surrounded himself. Paul, Paul was not a lone ranger, and neither can we be. He could not do it by himself. You can't do it by yourself. God has so graciously created us in life that he's given us this awesome thing called friends to help come alongside us and to encourage us and strengthen us in our walk. Again, I ask you this morning, who do you surround yourself with? Who do you surround yourself with? You know, doesn't matter where you're at in life, whoever you surround yourself with will be the people that you become, the people that will rub off on you or you will rub off on them. It's very important in, in our Christian walk that we have solid Christian believers as close friends that will help us along the way. This, this doesn't mean we don't have unbelievers as friends. I believe you should have unbelieving friends too, people that you can reach out to, that you can witness, that you can love on, and that you can hopefully lead to Christ. But picking our friends is, is very, very important. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, Father, for the subject that we looked at this morning. God, I just pray, Father, for your people that as they meditate on this passage and they think on this message, Lord, that they will, one, give them a desire to find friends like this that will encourage them and strengthen their walk with you, God. And Father, I also pray, Lord, for each one of us here this morning, help us to be this kind of friend to people. Lord, let your spirit guide us and direct us to, to be like these guys and to encourage our friends around us. Lord, we love you and we praise you and we thank you for our friends and help us to be wise in choosing them. In Jesus' name we pray, Lord. Amen.